Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Well, welcome to this episode of Connect, sponsored by our call and vocation team of the Western North Carolina Conference. And today's guest is Scott Osterberg, who is the pastor of New Story Church in Winston-Salem. Uh, he is an ordained elder in the Western North Carolina Conference, has served in a variety of roles since 1996, and he's a graduate of Duke Divinity School. And today we're going to find out more about Scott and his ministry. So welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Well, good to have you here. And knowing that 30 minutes goes quickly, let's just move right into some questions. Uh, so one of the things we always do on the show is uh, get a little background. So give us a little of your bra- background. Where are you from? Uh, where did you go to school and grow up? Those kinds of things. Absolutely. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, so I'm a proud Texan. Growing up, I never, uh, our family did not go to church very much, actually. We were kind of creasters. We would go at Christmas and we would go at Easter. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was in high school, I actually started going to a Methodist church by myself. There was a big church in Richardson, which was right next to Dallas, that I would go to. I liked the minister, I thought he was uh, very intriguing. And I'd go just sit in the back of the church by myself and listen to him preach. Wasn't really involved in church at at all. At that time, I would have never thought that I was going to go into the ministry. So after that, I went to the University of Texas, where I got my bachelor's degree in business and then stayed and got my master's degree in business there as well, and went to work for a Wall Street firm. And so I spent Hmm. about six months in New York City and then came back to Dallas and worked for about three years in Dallas before I went to Divinity School. So it was a a good childhood and uh, still proud to call myself a Texan. Okay, so a Texan up in uh, New York City, that must have been a uh, that was interesting. It was quite a, a quite a change of pace. I was glad to be there, and then I was really glad to leave as well. So tell us about that call story. How did how did uh, God break into a life that had spent time on Wall Street, was working in the business world? Uh, has to be a good one to get you to go to divinity school. Well, like I said, I, I would go to church by myself. I had never um, known a whole lot about church. I wouldn't even say I knew a lot about Jesus until in high school I was part of a Young Life group. Hmm. And it was through Young Life that I actually first really heard about Jesus and, and, and his plan for us and what an incredible God he was and what an incredible guy he was. And one of the things that that they did in Young Life was encourage us to be a part of a church. And so that's when I started going to um, the Methodist church Mm-hmm. It was about, I don't know, 10 minutes down the road from us. So when I went to college, I, I did not go to church much at all. And then when I got out of college and I was living back in Dallas, I would go to church with whoever I was dating at the time. And so I had a different variety of churches. And one of the churches that I went to 
with a young lady who I was dating had a program called Evangelism Explosion. And in Evangelism Explosion, they taught you how to talk to people about Jesus. And I just absolutely found that fascinating. Just even though I didn't know a whole bunch about Jesus myself, I thought it was just so fun to talk to people about Jesus and who he was and how he could change your life. And about that same time, I started taking a class um, at SMU at night, and it was called Religion and Everyday Life. I've just always had a love of learning, and they were offering this class, and the associate dean of the Divinity School happened to teach it. Hmm. So during this class, we were just studying about different types of of thought about religion and the philosophy of religion and how it applied to our daily life, and I just absolutely loved it. So probably for the first time in my life, I actually started praying uh, to God about, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Because before that, I had always thought I would be in the business world. It's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to make lots of money. I wanted to be a business titan, and that was it. And I can't say that I had any burning bush experience at all. Um, for me, I just began to think, I wonder if it would be cool to go to divinity school. And I knew I had an MBA, so I knew if I went to divinity school and it didn't work out, I could always get a job. So I kind of had a fallback position. Hmm. And even when I went to Duke for divinity school, I wasn't sure at all that I wanted to be a pastor. I didn't know if I wanted to teach or I thought, you know what, just studying about God for three years will be fun. If, if mm -hmm. nothing else, it'll be a great three years. And so after my first year of divinity school, I was in the field ed program and I got sent out to Highlands, North Carolina and okay. spent the summer out there, which is certainly an interesting place to do your first field education in a place like Highlands. But sure. I loved it. I loved everything about being a pastor. I just loved it. And then after my second year of divinity school, I did another internship out in Burnsville, and I just knew this was it. I knew that that I was supposed to be a pastor, and I haven't I haven't ever looked back and I've never once regretted the decision and feel like it's the best thing I've ever done in my whole life. Cool. Now, who who was a pastor at Highlands when you went out there? Uh Carl Lindquist was the pastor when I was okay. up there and then in in Burnsville it was Buzz Scott. Okay. Yeah, it's always interesting. Uh, um, and I, I've talked about Maurice Ritchie on this show many a time. Everybody's had some dealings with him. But he had this way of finding a place uh, for you that made you grow. And sometimes you wondered, you know, what was his thinking there? Um, and I'm guessing that he was still uh, doing field ed when uh, you were going through Duke. So. Um, he was, and you know, for me, just to, it was the first time I had ever really experienced being inside the life of a church, because before mm -hmm. that, all I had ever done was go on Sundays and listen to sermons. That was really my only interaction with church, and so to actually to be a, a part of a living, breathing church for me was so enlightening and just so wonderful, and it let me just really see all the different things that pastors do, because before that... I would not say I had a good idea of what pastors do. It's probably just a stereotypical image. You know, they come on Sundays, mm -hmm. they preach a sermon, they they visit some older people, but to actually get to see all the ways that a pastor influences people's lives and the way that the church influences the pastor's life was just fascinating to me. I just loved every bit of it. Mm. So um, this is a question we always ask on a call and vocation show is, um, describe your call in one or two words. What would those be? 
Well, I think the one word would be unexpected. I would have never, if you would have asked me in high school or even in college to list 50 things I would have <laughs> thought that I might have done with my life, pastor would have not been anywhere on the list. <laughs> so, And actually, when I had decided that I was going to go to divinity school and was telling my friends um, that I was quitting my job and going to divinity school, most of them thought I was just joking around. I mean, really, mm-hmm. nobody... Nobody could believe that I was actually going to do it, and a lot of people weren't were not excited about my doing it. Um, you know, I had a good job; I was making really good money, and and people had a lot of questions about it. But I guess looking back, it was one of those things that I think God, in His own prevenient grace, kind of way, was just pulling me in that direction before I even knew it myself. Yeah, it's always interesting. Um, it, for me, it was kind of unexpected to become a pastor. On the other hand, my family knew it all along. Um, <laughs> but my father, who worked in the Employment Services Commission, you know, he, he always brought home pamphlets to me and said, do anything but that. You know, there's right. lots of ways to make money, uh, and you could do better than this. But it was interesting. You know, it never the- even occurred to them that uh, maybe I would actually follow through with it. And some 30 years later, of- I'm still doing it. That's cool. The, the minister of the church that uh, I guess was you know considered my home church where I was going in Dallas, and of course I had to go through their PPR committee to start the mm-hmm. candidacy process. And when I sat down with him, he said almost the same thing to me. He was a great, just wise, older man, and he said, Scott, if there is anything else that you can do, go do it. Just anything else at all. Do not do this unless you absolutely feel that that you are called to do this and that you have to do this. And at mm-hmm. the time I was not, I wasn't sure that I was a hundred percent called to do it. But now that I look back on that, I think it was pretty wise advice because while, while being a pastor is one of the most glorious callings that there is, every pastor would say it's also a very tough calling and it's a heartbreaking calling and, and really challenging. So I think that was, mm. I think that was good advice. Yeah. My father you know, came with me with that advice because he'd been the PPR chair in my local church, and he knew it <laughs> firsthand. And, uh, he sure did. He saw the ups and downs. No doubt. So who are the folks that influenced your call? I'm guessing a pastor in Dallas, Texas, but uh, who are the other people that influenced that call? I, I would have to say my young life leader was one of the biggest because even looking back today, he was he was one of the first times that I actually saw that Christianity could be cool. I think so often in, in high school or when we're younger, we have this almost stereotypical image of Christianity where everybody's prim and proper and you know walking, just towing the line all the time. And we have this image that you know people who are Christians are just reading the Bible nonstop, and you can't say a cuss word in front of them, and oh, you better not make a mistake. And my young life leader was just an everyday guy. He sold real estate and he just he wasn't paid. He would just come on Monday nights and lead it and and he was incredible. He was just a real life human being who talked to us about his struggles of of the challenges of being a Christian, the challenges of of following Jesus. And so he didn't paint this utopian picture of what the faith looked like. He was just really honest and talked about what it was like. And in, in a lot of ways, I've tried to base my own ministry on that exact same thing of never painting a pretty picture of saying, look, you know, to follow Jesus is the hardest thing you could ever do. It's glorious, but it's also incredibly challenging. And you may not hmm. be popular, and you might have people hate you. And 
and gosh, it might actually cost you your life. But I would have to say his name was Steve Baxter, and as I look back on on my call, I just think he was incredible. I think at my second internship as well, my second field ed placement when I was under Buzz Scott, I knew he had a great reputation as one of the best preachers in the conference, and so I'd actually asked to go out and do that field ed with him, and he was gracious enough to let me preach the early service every all 12 weeks that I was there. And mm. I had asked him after each, I said, can we go to lunch on Mondays and you just tear down my sermons and, and help me, help me become a, a good preacher. And so he did that. And just in those conversations that we had, it wasn't just about how to write a good sermon. It was just in our conversations for an hour or two hours every Monday I think he just showed me, because Buzz was a very real person. Buzz had had his ups and he had his downs, absolutely. And in him giving me a window into what an, what a, what an honest look at the life of a pastor is like, it, it just solidified to me that, gosh, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have read the Bible a thousand times and have grown up in the church and you know, be able to speak Greek fluently. You can just be who you are because God calls you for who you are and mm. and then uses us in that. And I was, I'm just still ever so thankful for that. Very cool. So who are the folks that are shaping your call now? You know, I think if I had to say it now, I would have to say the people of New Story Church are shaping my call. You know, in one of our campuses, we have a homeless shelter, and as I spend time around the homeless, they they absolutely shape my call of of what it's like to truly live out a ministry to the poor. And we have a big recovery ministry, and as I hang out with people who are in recovery, or we do a big feeding ministry with people who are hungry, I just, I really the 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 verses where Jesus tells us to take care of the poor just absolutely shape who who I want to be as a pastor. And and I found that, that ministry with people who are disenfranchised or have been hurt by the church or have never been in church or or pushed to the side by society, they just they help me and I think everyone who's a part of New Story just keep it totally real because people in those situations don't have any space in their lives for BS and they can see through you know, they can see through it in a second. Mm-hmm. And so it just helps me to stay very, very authentic, because if I tried to use cliches or if I try to um, put a pretty picture on something that's not, they just immediately call me on it. And so literally every day in my ministry, I'm surrounded by wonderful people who just remind me of of why I do this and, and how I want my ministry to be. All right. Well, we're going to take a break now, and then we're going to come and talk about how you got started in ministry in Western North Carolina, and then... How did you get there to New Story? So uh, let's hear a word from our call and vocation team. Hello, I'm Jim Parsons, the chair of the call and vocation team for the Western North Carolina Conference. We are thrilled to partner with UM Connect to bring you some unique conversations in 2016. Our team is focused on cultivating a culture of call within our conference. For more about our work, please visit us at isgodcallingme.org. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build the church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes. 
and we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. And you can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation at our show's website, which is umconnect.info. And so we're back with Scott Osterberg. And, um, well, let's just talk briefly. Um, you got out of Duke Divinity School, and then uh, you were sent to the hinterlands as a pastor. Uh, where did you start off your, your work? I started off on the Glencoe Bethany Charge in Rockingham County, which okay. at that time was truly in the middle of nowhere. It was 30 minutes to the nearest grocery store. And uh, for, a, for someone who had grown up in the city of Dallas, it was quite a shock to go out to one of the most rural areas that you can find. And yet, looking back on it, that was you know a great blessing, a chance to to begin learning who I was as a minister and to to have people who loved you even even when you tried things that were complete crashes and burns. <laughs> and so mm. it's great. Yeah, uh, we'd talked before. I had served in Rockingham County, and it was just a different uh, bird altogether. Now, Mayadan, it was a big city. We actually had a grocery store in town. So, right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Rockingham County is uh, you know, a different part of the state. And then um, uh, you served a couple other appointments before you uh, hit news story. So what were those like? Well, after um, when I was at Glencoe and Bethany, Glencoe went stationed, so I stayed there for three more years with just Glencoe. And then I went out to Lenore, to the Little John and Gamewell Charge out in Lenore. And from there, I went to Yatkinville, United Methodist Church in downtown Yatkinville, and I was there for seven years before okay. I ended up um, starting New Story. So let's talk about how New Story began. How did, how did that happen? Well, when I, as I was finishing my last year in Yadkinville, I actually took a year's leave of absence. My wife at the time was uh, incredibly sick, and she was in hospice, and it had gotten to the point where it was too hard for me to take care of our three young kids and um, try to be a good husband for my wife as she was in hospice and pastor the church. So I took a year leave. And during that year leave, I, I really was not sure if I'd stay in the ministry at all. I had serious questions for God. I had some serious theological challenges with the suffering that was happening with my wife, and I wasn't sure I'd stay in the ministry at all. And yet, over that year, I really began to feel God leading me to start a different type of church, a type of church that was built for and around broken people like I was myself, and for those who had been disenfranchised by the church and for those who who were hurting or who were lost or were on the edges of society. And so I went and talked with the bishop and, and told him this is what I felt like I was being led to do. And thankfully, the bishop was incredible and, and helped us do that. Very cool. So... Um... Uh, the ministry begins, and I'm, I'm certain full of uh, stops and starts, um, but you've grown a great deal um, since those early days. Um, what, what does that ministry look like day to day? Because it, it is a, a different bird altogether um, compared to other local churches. It really is. Um, at this point, we have three campuses, and they're three very different campuses, so I can't even say that I have a traditional day. On Sundays, we worship out at our newest campus, which is out at the Children's Home, and that has a little bit more of a traditional feel than we've been used to at New Stories since it meets in the chapel out there, although 
we've tried everything we can to give the chapel a real news story, a real kind of comfortable feel. Um, and so out there, we we have worship on Sunday mornings. We do a lot of ministry on the Children's Home campus with the kids who live at the Children's Home, all of who have come from very, very challenging backgrounds. On Monday, we have um, worship out at our Walltown campus. Our Walltown campus is in one of the most challenging areas of Winston-Salem. It's a very rough area out there. And on Mondays, we do a meal for the community out there and then have worship for the community out there, which is a totally different style of worship than we do on Sundays. And then on Thursdays, we now have what we call our Java and Jesus service, which is kind of a coffee shop feel, a very discussional type feel on Thursday nights at our original campus, which is our Peters Creek campus. So Hmm. three different times during the week we're having worship. Right now we have at our Peters Creek campus, we run a homeless shelter right in the church. So for the for the months of December through March, we're one of the overflow shelters, so we'll have up to 20 people living in, uh, actually at night, living in our church every single night. So we feed them every night and send them out every morning with a breakfast. So during the winter months, there's a lot to be done with the homeless shelter. Um, during the days, lots of times I'm spending money fundraising. When When you minister to a community like ours that is very, very poor and on the fringes of society, fundraising is always always a challenge because we just don't have the giving capacity of a lot of different churches. So a lot of my times during the day, I'm meeting with different people. As you can imagine, with a, with a congregation like ours, we have a lot of people who are in crisis, a lot of people who have immediate needs. So the good thing about um, a ministry like this is it's never boring. So I, I don't mm. spend very much time in the office at all. It's always off doing different things. And and virtually every day at the end of the day, you can feel like you've made a great difference in somebody's life. So I guess I would say every day is filled with some joy, and then every day is also filled with some kind of great heartbreak because we minister to people who are in such need and, and hurting in, in such profound ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one of the things, if you know someone's listening and they're from a uh, a regular uh local church like many of ours uh, are here in western North Carolina. Uh, you could say so many attend worship, so many are members, etc. Um, in your case, it's a whole different ball game. Um, but I do know that it takes a lot of people uh, uh, to make this ministry happen. So uh, what kind of uh, numbers of volunteers are involved in uh, uh, making those three services work uh, a week and then the daily uh, work with the homeless and uh, the broken folks in Winston-Salem? Sure. It takes a tremendous number of volunteers. Being a church that is not a wealthy church, we do not have much staff at all for a church our size. And we make up for that by having a tremendous number of volunteers. For example, every night at the homeless shelter it takes six or seven different volunteers since we don't pay people to stay there overnight. At our Monday meals out at the Walltown campus, we have Uh, probably between 10 and 15 people who are out there cooking and serving, and then another 10 or 15 people who are volunteering in the children's programs. Out at our new West End campus at the Children's Home, we have um, our our children's ministries and youth ministries have just exploded out here, so we have 15 to 20 volunteers a week out there. So overall at News Story, every single week we're probably using somewhere between, I guess, 75 80 volunteers every single week, which is tough. It's tough for several reasons. It's tough to get that many volunteers. 
and then it's tough because this is this is very hard work as a volunteer because you're seeing especially work in the children's ministry because you're seeing kids who are so broken and so hurt and you know most of the kids who come to new story have never been to church before and so they don't you know to use almost a cliche they don't act like we think church children should act <laughs> and right. and and that's great. We love that. We love that they can come. At our at our Walltown campus, almost, I would guess, probably 95% of the kids who come walk to the church from the community around there. Most of them are from incredibly broken homes. We have no idea who their parents are. And we have we have kids who will walk one or two or even three miles to come to church. And these kids have been so beat down and hurt during the week that when they come to us on Monday nights, all they want to do is be loved, and yet they show that need for love sometimes in very, very challenging ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's um, it's great. It's it's a great place for volunteers, and it's also a tough place for volunteers. So we do the best we can to give people breaks as much as we can. One of our core values at New Story is is that we will keep it simple, and so we don't have a whole ton of programs out at New Story. We really focus on homeless ministries and children's and youth ministries, recovery ministries and feeding ministries. Those are the things that we focus on. And so I think our volunteers out here have a great um, sense of fulfillment in their volunteering, and I also know there's a lot of nights they go home and they just cry because of, mm-hmm. of what we see and what we deal with. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any advice? Um, there are certainly folks uh, listening that said, boy, I'd, I'd like to um, take on a ministry like this. I, I would consider uh, doing something um, this radical uh, with my ministry. What advice do you have for somebody thinking about this? Well, the first thing I would say is start slowly. I think if most pastors go into their churches on a Sunday and say, hey, church, we're going to create a new story church starting right now, it's probably not going to work. We have slowly built this thing up, and and we've had some successes, and certainly we have learned the hard way on certain things as well. So I would say start slowly, because otherwise it can be very whiplashy for people. A lot of change can be very challenging, especially for more traditional churches that have been around for a long time. We have some real benefits as a new church start and that we don't have anybody who says we've always done it that way or mm-hmm. that's not how we do this. We we haven't had that at all. But I would also say, you know, in addition to starting slowly, start. Do something. Um, and it doesn't – most churches aren't going to be able to open a homeless shelter in their church. That's just not going to work. But that doesn't mean – that you can't start doing something for the homeless. Most churches aren't going to be able to have uh, feed 150 people from their community every single Monday night, but that doesn't mean you can't do some sort of feeding ministry. Maybe you could pack some, some bag meals for people or do something. And what we've found is when people begin to reach outside the walls of the church, it touches their heart in so many ways. And and suddenly it makes arguments over what color should the carpet be or, you know, what music, what song should we sing for the choral anthem. Suddenly those things just don't become as important or divisive anymore when you're trying to feed kids who literally have nothing to eat. Mm. And so I think my biggest piece of advice would be, start something. You know, while while all churches can't do everything, every church can do something. So I would say to, to, to people in the churches, find what your thing might be. Look around your community and see what a need might be. 
certainly at New Story Church, we are always welcome to have pastors or people from other churches come out on a on a Sunday or a Monday or to our homeless shelter and see what we do and we'll show you everything that we that we'll do and we've had lots of different people come out and watch what we do and you can take from what we do, take what you like and do it and take what you didn't like and just leave it behind and and we're certainly glad to come out and help other churches begin to start some different things because we've learned there's we've learned some great things as we've done this and we've also learned some things not to do as we've done this but i think the first start is just starting and if that starting is just coming out to one of our one of our events and seeing what we do and learning from that that's a great starting point okay so i have one question related to this and that is how about the politics of the church how how do you manage that uh, i mean you asked bishop goodpastor uh uh, how do I, I make this happen? Um, um, what's your advice about that um, to other pastors? Well, well, you know, we we haven't had to deal with a whole lot of politics as New Story Church. I think we're kind of that thing that's just out there as New Story that a lot of people don't totally understand. I have to say, you know, Bishop Leland just came to. Um, our Walltown service on Monday, and, and he and his wife Janet were incredibly gracious and helpful, and we felt a lot of support from them. Our own district superintendent, um, Dr. Jeff Patterson, ha- has been fantastic as well. And so we at New Story have not spent a whole lot of time worrying about the politics. We we worry about the ministry, and we figure that the politics will take care of themselves. And and in the midst of that, you know, we still try to, to build up the Methodist church as much as we can. You know, I think there's probably always a temptation for a new church starts to go rogue or to go off on their own. But we love the United Methodist Church. We love the theology of the United Methodist Church. We wouldn't exist without the generosity of the United Methodist Church. And so, you know, we feel one of one of our roles as a new church start is to, to help show the United Methodist Church possibly a different way to do ministry. It might not be for everybody, but it is for a lot of people where politics aren't important, buildings aren't important. What's important is being on the front lines and, and doing the ministry to those who've been forgotten by everybody else. All right. Um, I'll give you about a minute. You've got a, a, a sermon uh, in one minute for uh, the people of God. What would you say? I would say that no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been in your life, no matter what bad decisions you have ever made, no matter how far away from God that you have ever gone, that God absolutely still loves you. And there are some beautiful verses in the Bible where Jesus talks about leaving behind the 99 sheep to come look for you, that Jesus is willing to come and search for you wherever you are. And he doesn't care all the bad decisions that you've ever made in your life. What he wants right now is a relationship with you. And all he wants is for you to open up your arms and say, I'm ready. You don't have to have read the Bible a million times. You don't have to be a professional prayer. All Our only response to this glorious gift of God's grace is to open up our arms and say, I want some of it. And at that moment, I think Jesus just throws us into a great big hug and all of heaven celebrates, and that begins changing our lives forever. And it doesn't mean everything's going to go our way, and it doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. We're still going to struggle, and we're still going to have heartbreak. But what it does mean is, is that we have the creator of the universe who walks with us step by step. And in those times that it gets too tough for us to continue walking, God will pick us up in his arms, and he'll carry us, and he'll whisper in our ear, I've got you because you are my child. 
Well, that'll preach. Well, thanks for being <laughs> on the show, Scott. Glad to. Really glad. And thanks, everyone, for listening to us on Blog Talk Radio. The show is going to be a podcast later on Blog Talk at the show's website and on iTunes. So keep up with the latest at umconnect.info. And we're going to be back next week connecting United Methodists and their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about them on the sponsors section of the website, umconnect.info. I'm Michael Rich, and you've been listening to Connect. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.